Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Taurus Data Science Podcast. And if you're watching this on YouTube, by the way, you might have noticed that I'm in a different room than usual for fun logistical reasons, but we'll be back to our usual setup next time with better lighting and plants hanging in the background and all that good stuff. Uh, but I'm excited to be here today because this episode is going to be a little bit different from the ones that we've been recording recently, where historically we've been focused on the teams and the people building the world's most powerful AI systems. Now, today we're going to be looking at the more applied side of that story, how these systems can actually be used by everyday people to build useful and powerful apps. So my guest today is Amber Tang, and she's a data scientist who recently published a blog post that got quite a bit of attention about a resume cover letter generator that she created using GPT-3, OpenAI's powerful and now somewhat famous language model. Now, I've actually known Amber for quite a while now, and I thought her project would make for a great episode because it explores so many of the challenges and opportunities that come with the new era of powerful language models that we've all just entered. So today we'll be exploring exactly that, looking at the applied side of language modeling and prompt engineering, understanding how large language models have made new apps not only possible, but also downright easy to build, and the likely future of AI-powered products. All that and more on this episode of the Taurus Data Science Podcast. All right, well, Amber, thanks so much for joining me for the podcast here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to, to be here and also like get back in touch with TDS and obviously like love talking with you. So really, really appreciate it. Yeah, for context for listeners, so Amber actually used to work at Taurus Data Science, did some editorial work there. So it's a bit of an insider baseball moment here, but I, I thought that you had such an interesting story to tell, not just in terms of your, your journey into data science and all that stuff, but your recent application of GPT-3 for a really practical project. And we're going to dive into that. Um, I want to start, though, by talking a little bit about your story and how you kind of came to the world of data science, because it is kind of unusual and interesting. And it, I think it shows the, the breadth, the kinds of people that can be brought into the fold when it comes to data science, and then the impressive things that they can learn to do relatively quickly with, with determination. So. Can you share a little bit about like what brought you to data science? What brought you to this world to begin with? Yeah, absolutely. So great question. And thank you for being interested in that. Um, I always joke that I used to write papers, not code, but here I am, you know. Um, I actually majored in economics and archaeology in college. And I remember I actually the first time I heard about the term data science was at a hackathon. Um, to be honest, I went because there was like free merch and free food. It was one of those like very, you know, a senior year, let's go and get out of our comfort zone kind of things, right? But when I got there, I learned so much. I met so many great people. And I think that was like my first like foray into coding. And what really interested and inspired me is that even with just like 24 to 48 hours of like coding knowledge, we were able to build something super cool. And that like building quickly um, kind of thing, building MVPs with like basic knowledge, like learning as you go, um, it really inspired me. It really motivated me. I've always loved building things, but this was the first time that I was able to kind of take code, um, you know, and use it um, to apply and, and use it to apply to like a sort of interdisciplinary field. Most of the people on my team at that hackathon had also never really coded before. Um, so it was at Hackett Brown, which is known to be very friendly to, you know, non-CS majors. 
Um, and yeah, it was just like a great experience. And because of that, I started going into data-driven uh, storytelling, understanding kind of how these interests intersected. Um, so from data science to economics to archaeology, like how do you tell people's stories um, using mm. data? And that's sort of how I got um, into the field and the rest is history. So it's been great. Yeah, I mean, it, it's. I think it, it really does highlight again that that breadth of of experience that can serve your your data science ambitions, serve your your data science journey, and I think it's also a testament to how far the technologies come. Like as you mentioned, you take a forty eight hours of coding experience, and you can translate that into meaningful um, visualizations, meaningful even meaningful AI models uh, these days. And I think that's part of what gets us into the story of what you've built recently with GPT-3, which got quite a bit of attention. This idea of building a like a resume cover letter generator using GPT-3. And I want to go to get into the, the nuts and bolts of this, but I also want to make sure that we're focused on the big picture too, which I think is this era of highly accessible um, AI-powered software generation tools. And um, for context there, like, you know, I think it's amazing how easy to use these tools are. It's hard to emphasize that enough. But um, was this your first project with GPT-3 that you built? Like, how, how much ramp-up time did it take for you to start to do valuable things with the tool? Yeah, great question. Actually, this is my very first time using a language model as as big as GPT-3. I haven't, like, touched it before. Um, you know, I watched a few videos, um, specifically, like, Jay Alomar's videos on, like, what is GPT-3, kind of, like, the basic stuff like that, but I never, like, built anything with it. Um, in terms of, like, the ramp-up time, it was actually pretty quick. I was surprised myself. I thought it would take a long time, given how complex the model was and given all the, like, research and given... The paper as well, the paper was very, um, you know, as someone who is uh, just getting started with bigger language models like this, it was pretty dense to read, but really, really interesting. And so I was surprised that it only took a few lines of code to actually generate a cover letter generator like like I did, right? Um, OpenAI Open has a school thing where they have like a playground where you actually don't even need the code. You just enter a prompt and it, um, you know, gives you the result back. So that's actually how I started. Uh, with the cover letter generator. Um, and when I saw that the prompts were working, I was like, can we productionize this into a tool? Okay, right. And, and actually that, that that little detail, I think is actually a really big deal, right? Because what you've just talked about is a fundamental change in the order of operations that goes into building products with AI. Like it used to be that you'd have to build the entire AI system yourself and then cross your fingers and be like, I hope this works for my use case. But now, as you described, like you just go to OpenAI Playground, you play around with it a little bit, you go, okay, yeah, it works for my thing. Now let's invest time into actually building out the application. And it totally de-risks this. Like, that seems like a really big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, when I learned uh, machine learning and deep learning in grad school, we did most things from scratch. Like, I remember trying to implement you know, like linear regression and decision trees um, directly from NumPy without scikit-learn, like we weren't allowed to use scikit-learn in class, right? So it was coming from that perspective of, okay, like you need to understand like all the math behind this. When you understand the math, translate it into code and then see if it works and then tweak it to your purposes. So this was um completely different from, from that approach in the sense that it was more focused on the end result pretty early on right like I felt like I was building things kind of like top down I was like okay like I am sort of on the job in the job market again I like want to apply for jobs but one of the things that I don't really like doing is writing cover letters I don't know if people actually read it but sometimes it's required so is there any way that I can make this process easier not just for me but 
everyone who is in the job market right now. Like the great resignation was definitely a thing. And I'm sure people are trying to, you know, amp up their CVs, cover letters, resumes, so on and so forth. Um, and I was like, a good place to start is cover letters because the text that you have in cover letters, I think is pretty standard as compared to like resumes, which have, you know, more diverse formats. So yeah. from an entity perspective, I feel like it was simpler to start there. Um, and then, yeah, just using like the tools that were available, like OpenAI. Um, to be honest, I think there's a lot more, um, a lot more platforms, a lot more language models, but it was just the most like popular <laughs> to me at that yeah. time, not knowing much about um, these types of like frameworks. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think you're you're onto something there too. You know, it seems like there's been such a proliferation in these tools. We've got AI Twenty One Labs, we've got Cohere, we got OpenAI, we've got all these different uh, services that offer kind of fundamentally the same thing. It's almost hard to know which one to use, and at a certain point, you just get started. Uh, I'd love to understand better. Like, so this cover letter generator, can you walk us through like what are the inputs that the user provides, and then what what ends up getting generated specifically? Yeah, so when I first started it, uh, my first prompt was pretty simple. It was just like, generate a cover letter for a person applying for a machine learning role or like data science role. And it was it was that simple, right? And I think it was cool to see the results. But what I wanted to add was I wanted to add a bit more personality, right? Like what I was seeing is that the cover letters it would generate, you know, they, they were pretty good, but it was along the lines of like, okay, like dear hiring manager, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So it was very, very generic. It could be for ML. It could be for anything. Um, And the only thing that made it, that made the cover letter seem like it was for an ML role is uh, like a single line that would say something along the lines of like, I am applying for a machine learning role and everything else is generic or like half made up. Like, you know, they make up some like place I graduated from, which I didn't like study at, at all. You know what I mean? Um, and given that I actually wanted to use this, I was like, what what inputs um, do we want to have? So I ended up with a few inputs um, for the final cover letter generator. And they are um, so first company name. Um, the role you have, the, the role that you're applying for, who you're trying to talk to, contact person. This could be like the actual name of the person or the role they have, like, you know, may, maybe technical hiring manager or like director of data science, something like that. Um, your name, of course. Um, and then uh, personal experience. So I added this again because of that, like, um, interest in making it more customized, more personalized, more relevant to whoever is, is writing it. It's not just like a generic out-of-the-box cover letter. It's actually relevant to, to your experience, right? And then uh, I included something called job description, but given that there's like a limit on on tokens and I also didn't want to use up all of my like free tier options, um, <laughs> like I just made it a question of like, what are you excited by, right? And right. then added information there and so what and is the this? last thing oh, oh sorry, sorry go ahead no the last thing i was going to add is like passion right so like what are you passionate about and i added this based on feedback from a friend i had people like beta test my cover letter generator nice. for fun and they were like dude you should add something about like what people care about what they're passionate about because like honestly it's pretty generic and so that's how i ended up adding that Okay, very interesting. And how did the, all this information then get squeezed into the prompt? Like, I imagine you probably experimented with different kinds of prompts. Like, what did you end up landing on? And, and can you speak a little bit to that prompt engineering process? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, the specific prompt is, like, write a cover letter to person from myself for a blank role job at the company name. 
and I have experience in whatever they wrote in personal experience, and I'm excited by the job about the job because so on and so forth. Um, and anything that they add on passion, which is uh, an optional field. I left it optional because of the token thing. But yeah, it was actually as simple as that. Like I, it wasn't, you know, like I think. Is the prompt written in, in first person, sorry? So like, is it like write a prompt, uh, write a, a cover letter for me? Like, is it framed that way or? Interesting. Okay. So it's because like the way I was thinking about it, like when I write my cover letters, I like write in first person. Yeah. Like, dear Jeremy, I would like to apply for a role at like Sharpest Minds, for example, right? Right. Um, but I was sorry. I was wondering about the the prompt itself. Like when you're giving your instructions to GPT three, uh, are the instructions written like in first person? Like, do you say, um, you know, write a cover letter for, um, you know, from Amber Tang to so and so? I'm. I guess I'm wondering yeah. how, how do you how do you yeah. fill in the experience? Does the experience like it is in first person, which is okay. like actually that's a really good point. But it is in first person. I, I'm. I think a, an interesting experience is to see what would happen if it weren't in first person. But like right now, it reads as like I have experience in like maybe NLP or like fintech, and I'm passionate about blah blah blah. And I guess the reasoning behind that is like when I was thinking about how I write my cover letters, like naturally, that's what. I would do. Um, and it's interesting with like the, the generation piece as compared to like text completion, like how prompts are written. I, I was reading a bit more about like, you know, creating like the appropriate prompt, like what context you need, how much context you even need to add. Yeah. Um, and to be honest with you, like this cover letter generator, it was sort of like a, I don't want to say like baseline project, but basically it's like, how can we build something that goes 80% that does yeah. 80% of the job and like the least possible time? So I was just like, okay, let's just like put something together so I can start applying for jobs. Um, and so that's why a lot of it is very like, I didn't like fine tune it or anything, which is uh, another area in, in my roadmap that I'd like to do. Actually, I have, I have a bunch of um, ideas on how I want to expand this in, in the future as well. So. Well, I'd be curious to hear what those are, especially through the, because the way you've described it so far, right? You started by saying, I just asked GPT-3 to write a cover letter for a machine learning engineering job, which I find that fascinating because it's this kind of um, iterative process where you start with a very simple request and then you start to build your prompt up, which seems like a really interesting prompt engineering best practice. Is, is that something that you found kind of useful to zero in gradually on where you wanted to go and where, where else would you see that going? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, one of the things that um happened, which is why I kind of tried to keep the prompt, you know, not too uh, not too simple, but also not too specific, is that when it was too simple, it the result was too generic. You know, it would say, okay, this person graduated from like Stanford. Clearly, I didn't go to Stanford, right? Yeah. Um, but if it was too specific, it would take the the text verbatim in in my in my prompt ah. and just print that out. And I was like, okay, well, the whole reason I want this cover letter generator is so I don't have to write it, right? So, but if I'm writing the whole thing, then it's basically not that useful. So this is like a, an interesting in-between. Um, in terms of like other things that I wanted to explore but haven't gone to doing yet, uh, one thing I noticed about the cover letter generator is, you know, there is a limit on like tokens, right? So I, I tried like four different like uh, models uh, that OpenAI allows us to use. Um, da Vinci is the one I like the best because it has like the highest um, token count. So you can create like longer cover letters. Um, you could probably the other models are useful if you want to do like LinkedIn cold 
cold email or LinkedIn, like cold message, something like that. So if you're limited by like character count, right? Uh, but yeah. if you want to do like a literal cover letter or like cold email, that's a bit more, um, that talks a bit more deeply about your experience. Probably Da Vinci might be the most flexible, also like the most creative. But yeah, it, it was hard to include everyone's experience in that tiny like sliver of text, right? So I was thinking, is there a way or like an option for users to like upload either like their um you know resume or like upload their prior cover letters or like prior experience maybe LinkedIn profiles and can we summarize what's on there um to create like a, a relevant prompt right because right now I feel like if people type in verbatim it it becomes too long yeah. right so but if we, if we use text summarization for example we might. I'll be able to like limit the word or character count such that it doesn't exceed um the the number of tokens required uh, the, the the number of like max tokens within OpenAI, but we can still like include their personal experience. So sort of, sort of a, stu- a two step process here, where like you start with the full, let's say the you take one of my one of my cover letters for a job, you turn it into like a three sentence summary, and then feed that back to GPT three and say, hey, adapt this for a new kind of job. So GPT three is almost doing like it's almost like translation in a way at that point. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The other thing I wanted to do, uh, so the job description portion, I do find that especially with, you know, maybe like cover letter or resume screeners right now, they care about, you know, keywords, SEO, that kind of thing, which historically I've like struggled with because how do you know what the keywords are in a piece of text, right? So maybe there's a way to also like add an HTML reader or like a way to like upload, like here's like the job link. Uh, take the text like from this like job description, right. take the most important keywords and then, you know, add that into like a prompt. So like maybe the most important skills are like PyTorch, TensorFlow, right? And if that's something that like you have in your tech stack, if it matches like what you had in your resume, then like include that in the prompt. Very good. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And actually, so this makes me wonder more generally, like, are there any best practices for prompting that you picked up on that you kind of realized, oh, you know what, this, like, I'm going to take this with me from now on. This is something that I'm going to use anytime I interact with a large language model like this. Were there, was there anything that kind of jumped out at you like that? Yeah, so for prompting, it was really interesting. Um, To be honest, I think the biggest one is like knowing what to, like, what parameters to adjust and when, and also looking at like, just like how you phrase the prompt right so for example like i would do like i had a i had a an experiment where i would be like write a resume for blah 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 blah. and like the the results weren't as good as compared to like write a cover letter um and i think the reason being you know maybe the format of resumes the format that they were coming in were not as standardized as how cover letters We're also like given, you know, what is GPT-3 like trained on, right? Um, I think the other thing that I looked at in terms of like writing prompts and not just like writing prompts, but like looking at like the model as a whole. So there's like another like parameter called temperature. And I think, uh, you know, playing around with that parameter a bit, it kind of gives you like either more creative or like more safe and quote unquote like accurate um, results. So my my GPT three like cover letter writer actually has like a very like high temperature. So if your temperature is like closer to like one, for example, um, then it gives you more creative results. So there's like higher risk, but also potentially like higher reward there. So it it sounds like the temperature piece connects back to something you mentioned earlier, where you know in the prompt, if you're too specific, if you say like write a cover letter for 
um, uh, for, you know, for the, this role at this company. And like, I, I have a, I have a background. You, you give it like three sentences of specific background. If the temperature is too low, the model's going to play it safe and it's just going to go, okay, well, I'm just going to copy paste that chunk of stuff. Whereas a higher temperature maybe kind of gets it to experiment more and get a little bit more jiggy with it. And like, it also like cites like other interesting things. Like there was like a cover letter where, where it actually cited like languages. So I was excited about that, like excited that I knew Python. I'm like, okay, check. And like some other things, some of them I didn't really know, but you know. Um, the other like parameters that I thought were helpful included like frequency penalty or like presence penalty. So those two, uh, I think they kind of show or like penalize the model if they like repeat the words that they use. So your model might be more likely to include new ideas, right? So right. for example, like if you're writing about like an MLE role, maybe like, in one part of the model, it talks about like, you know, your engineering and research background. On the other part of the of the result, it talks about you know ML ops, for example. So like different ideas, you're not really repeating the words too much, and you're getting like different kind of like concepts as well. Um, and yeah, like like you mentioned as well, like picking a prompt that's not overly specific, but that's also not too uh, broad. <laughs> yeah, there, there's that sweet spot of like what GPT three can actually help you with. Presumably, language models are going to get better and better at that. That that window is going to get bigger, uh, but it, it, it's it's an interesting thing to kind of navigate, thinking conceptually like how do I scope out my problem such that it it's got the right size and shape for GPT three to help with, and and yeah, not too specific, not too complex. Um, were there any any interesting kinds of mistakes that you found GPT three would make besides just like literally copying the the prompt? Like were there yeah. Yeah, so there's a few. And like, you know, just to add to that, I think the sweet spot for this specific like generator that I have so far, um, obviously without fine tuning, just like out of the box was like yeah. three sentences. Any less, it was like not specific enough. Any more, it was way too specific. So three mm. sentences is like what worked for for me particularly. Um, in terms of the, the results, so it depends on the model that, that we're using, right? So what I found is that like, for example, if you're using like, Da Vinci, like some of the, when it gets like too creative, for example, some of the mistakes it's made is, is like it referred to me as like male, for example, or like assigned a gender to, you know, whoever I was referring to. So like, dear Mr. Blah, 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 blah. And I was oh, like, right. wait, you're just like not assigned, <laughs> you know, just like leave it at, at a name or whatever. And the other things that it would make mistakes are uh, it would add experience to the you know my experience which is not like my experience like it would say something along the lines of oh okay I studied computer science I actually did not study computer science even though I'm working in data science or I would say something along along the lines of like okay she went to MIT which is right. interesting but but quite random um the other thing that I noticed like when using other models for example like Curie was really cool uh but because it had like fewer tokens like it would actually print out bullet points for me instead of like paragraph form, which is oh, what I wanted. Yeah. Okay. Cause yeah, of course. So, um, you know, for, for folks who aren't super familiar with GPT-3, so uh, DaVinci is the, the, the biggest fully scaled version of GPT-3. It's the most expensive one on a token by token basis. And then Curry is sort of a smaller one. Um, interesting that that kind of gets reflected in the, the sorts of completions that the model will recommend because it's kind of like what it's comfortable with the bullet points are maybe a more, more friendly format that's 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 interesting did you ever run into oh sorry oh sorry i was just gonna say that it was also like pretty generic so you know how like i mentioned earlier with um da vinci 
it would be more creative, assign additional experience I didn't have to myself. Yeah. Um, the, the cover letters from Curie, they sort of, at least the ones I've seen so far, and again, like, every time, um, every time I kind of enter a different prompt, like, we get a different result. So it's not like I did, like, a super clean every single prompt I entered. Like, I recorded yeah. it. That's, like, in my pipeline. But, like, it was interesting that the, the results for Curie seemed to me that they were closer to a job description than they were to a cover letter. So an example mm. is it would give a bullet something like experienced using R and Python for data analytics. And so uh, that's okay. literally like directly like what you take from like a job description. Right. It's so interesting. Yeah, I, w I wonder um I, I wonder if that's like it's failing to to recognize the I mean with maybe better prompt engineering I wonder if it might start to perform better like if that represents an actual like limit on what the model can do that's that's sort of one of the, the interesting things with these models too right because like there there was often this controversy uh, with GPT-3 for example like does GPT-3 know how to add numbers together right and people were asking that question and it, it's it seems to be the case that actually it kind of does but you have to ask it the right way you have to prompt it in the right way as people often say like prompting can, re can reveal the presence of capabilities but not the absence of capabilities um I, i'm curious about the um the context window too like did you did you find that the context window became an issue like did you find that long cover letters for example started to become incoherent after a while was there a limit to how many words you get before you're just like okay this is getting a little off the rails yeah yeah for sure like when the cover letters became too long so you know for me i really wanted a cover letter that, that was like longer than one paragraph right, right. so definitely longer than that um but when they became too long, the whole like experience assignment thing, uh, thing would occur. And then they would also like, I also found there were like a lot of like weird typos or like weird non-words that would show up. Oh, interesting. And I was really, yeah, I was curious about that because like I was using the same, literally like the same prompt and, and I tried it across different models just to like see the results. Um, and for for reference, DaVinci I think um, has max four thousand tokens. Meanwhile, all the other models, um, Ada, Babbage, and what is the last one? There's another one named after uh, another uh, person. Curie. Yeah, Curie. So they all have like I think two thousand forty eight um like tokens, right? So right. max tokens. So I don't know. It was like interesting that like with those other three, like the results would get a bit random especially when the temperature was like much higher like i would get weird kind of um capitalization there was like this one cover letter i um tested on i think it was like babbage and it like capitalized like user interface and just put it like in the middle of like my cover letter in like a non it wasn't even a sentence it was just like like there randomly and i was like why <laughs> Interesting. So would you say it's like the combination of high temperature plus a, a longer bit of text that's generated? That's the danger zone? Okay. Yeah, I think so. At least for me. But I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of like, there's a lot more testing that needs to be done here. But like for, for the instances I've seen, um, definitely that, that I mean, seems to be. That's definitely consistent with like a the theoretical picture that, you know, with a higher temperature, more originality. And then the longer you let it go on, it's I mean, it's sort of like a human who rants and rants and rants, and then eventually the rant kind of goes off topic. And, you know, we, we have our own coherence windows, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think the other interesting thing is like, so most of the roles that I'm currently applying to uh, personally are like machine learning engineers, engineering mm -hmm. roles. Um, and I know that role was already like popular 
2019, but maybe it got more popular in 2020 and 2021, right? So the other three models, I think, only have training data until October 2019. Meanwhile, Da Vinci mm. had training data until, if I recall correctly, like June 2021. So maybe that's why, like, when I apply for MLE roles, um, the descriptions are a bit more personalized, more specific when I use Da Vinci compared to to the other three. So maybe that's another reason. It's actually a re- another really good tip for people working with these models too. Is like you know keep track of when it was last retrained. Like COVID uh, COVID nineteen uh, is probably going to be something that's unknown to Babbage and Curry and and so on. So uh, I, and I remember that being a thing actually with even Da Vinci back in the day because they they retrained it yeah a couple times. And for, you know, for a while, it would just kind of make up an answer if you asked it about COVID-19, which is like, depending on the application you're imagining for these systems, like you got, you got to think about that a little bit. Um, I'm curious about the tools that you use too for this. Cause like, so we talked a little bit about, you know, the qualitative side, like how this worked, the kinds of, yeah. Like what was, so what was the stack? How did you choose to put this together? So to be honest, again, my approach was like quick and easy, get this done. Yeah. I like to apply for jobs. So I took like the path of least resistance. So OpenAI's API, that was like the core thing. I literally didn't have to do that much work with it. I just like, you know, entered a prompt, um, fixed up the parameters and then like used their API directly. I didn't I didn't fine tune, although in the future, I think it would be cool to like fine tune it on personalized like cover mm-hmm. letters. Um, and then the whole thing is written in, in Python and quickly, very quickly deployed on Streamlit. So, That's awesome. Yeah, the Streamlit deployment took about like, maybe an hour map. So, so what was like, what was your, your end to end? Like if you count for, you know, the hookup to the OpenAI API, the prompt engineering and the streamlit uh, deployment, what, what was like your end to end time for this cover letter generator? Um, so I think including like the playground and going through like the documentation for open AI, I think that took me about like three hours and then I was having like a lot of fun, but I don't want to waste all my credits. So that's why I was like, okay, let's build quickly. Um, so maybe like two to three hours for learning open AI and then like deployment and stream it doing in Python, maybe like one to two hours. So it (laughs) was pretty fast. So, so for people to have a little bit of context, I I think like five hours is it's incredible. Like, I think if, if we, you know, if you told somebody in 2019 that this was going to be possible in five hours of work, it, it would have been a research project that people would have had to do to put this together. Now, granted, you are a data science a scientist, you have a lot of experience writing code, that sort of thing. But, you know, I, I think it bears kind of emphasizing just how like ridiculous this is and the wide range of apps you could imagine putting together on this amount of time. Like, I, I'm sure there are a bunch of other ideas that you might've thought of that like could be thrown together basically as fast. Yeah, it was like a very coffee, caffeine induced five hours, but it was really, really fun. Like, it was actually funny because like I, you know, I'm working like my main project. Um, so I'm part of like this Tripus Minds a fellowship mentorship right now where we're uh, building um, kind of like data science and end data science projects. My main project is working on like a political tweet data set right so that one actually like took a longer time this one was like a break from my actual project so i was telling like my mentor i was like okay like i'm just gonna do something quickly to like clear my mind you know just like learn about different language models because he was having me read about like transformers which i was kind of struggling with because i didn't have like a lot of like experience with that and so i was like okay let's just go try to like build and apply and see what happens and like it's actually been more intuitive after 
working on the project, even though I didn't understand every single math formula behind it. Now, when I'm going back to it and like reading about it, it makes a lot more sense, right? So like project-based learning, I think really helps. And just like in data science, I feel like that's the the method that I find helps me learn the most and most quickly as well. Yeah. And actually, you know, and, and I, I want to flag as well for a little, like, I happen to know a little bit about Amber's brain and I think she's understating like the level of technical detail that she actually, like she, she's looked into this stuff and she understands the transformer architecture quite well. But um, I do think that you're like, you're making an excellent point, like almost pedagogically, like it kind of seems in a way as if, as if language models have given a completely new a vector of approach for building value with AI systems. Like you no longer need to be technical to create value with these systems. And in some sense, like you almost don't even need to know what's under the hood. Like it's more of an engineering problem than a like a math or physics problem. You're not building things up from the ground. You're kind of tweaking something that already exists. Yeah, and even with like these no code ML platforms, I feel like it's like a similar approach, right? Like compared to like learning how to like do ML models with just plain vanilla numpy right to just like point and click um even now there are a lot of platforms for computer vision as well where you know to uh, create bounding boxes you literally just like highlight which right. is you know that that's a lot more efficient and from a user standpoint i think it helps our pipeline a lot but i think we also have to be careful right because now that we're letting basically everyone um, use like AI, machine learning, deep learning, and democratizing the industry. We should also be aware of, of the different risks. So one thing that I, you know, was contemplating when I was like looking at like, like open AI, for example, I think they do a, like a really good job of keeping the platform safe. But I was like, oh my gosh, so like, because you can also use um, Codex to, to write code, you could literally write like a spam bot on here. Be like, write me some code to like spam someone's email. Or, right. You know, something scary like that. Obviously, I didn't do that. But I was like, this prompt is so open-ended. You could actually go and and have the model do that. So... <laughs> Yeah, I, I totally agree. It, it, it's one of those things where it's almost like electricity. You know, it opens up so many different use cases. It's a general purpose technology. It's a dual use technology in the sense that you can use it for good or for evil. And uh, and the same is definitely true of Codex. Like you can accelerate software engineering work a ton. That's great. But you can also accelerate the development of like malign software. Um, and, and actually, I guess related to that, the sort of democratization element, how much did this cost? Like, what was the cost of, let's say, generating one, like one cover letter? Uh, yeah, so um, I, the way from what I understand, the way that OpenAI does it. So to be honest, I haven't paid anything at all because they actually give you free credits. But they give you like $18 and $18 goes a long way. I was just like checking my like OpenAI dashboard earlier to see like, if people were using it. So on the blog post, I kind of like allowed people to, to use it, but it's all tied to, to my API key, API oh, token. You. You to yeah, but it was like draining all my credits. And um, for like the past month, um, on average, people have been using it maybe like 50 to 100 times per day, which is wow. interesting, like number of like queries, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I'm only at $16. So that... I think is saying something. So I was looking at like one specific day wherein I had like 46 requests. Okay. Um, and for that day, it only cost me like 64 cents. So, okay. So roughly speaking, if very roughly speaking, we're talking about a hundred, roughly a hundred queries. I know that's the upper end here, but 
about 100 queries a day for 30 days. It's like, so you're talking about like 1,500 to 3,000 queries for less than $20. Like this is, that's a lot of cover letters. Yeah. And the thing was like, so sometimes it even went like, I didn't look at every single day, but sometimes like I would have days where it was like above 200 queries or like above 200 cover letters generated. I'm just like, okay, people are like using this like too much. Like, please don't drain my credits. But yeah, that's saying something because it's actually not that expensive, like in my opinion, right? Um, Compared to, I mean, I think if you're looking at like time versus money here, like from yeah. an economic standpoint, the time it would take me to write a specific cover letter to like 500 different companies versus assuming that this, um you know, cover letter generator was fine tuned and, you know, uh, the results uh matched, you know, human like text uh, to the dot, then it would be actually much cheaper to go this route versus like me writing 500 cover letters. Right. And actually on that note, I guess there's some some metrics that you could imagine looking at to see, for example, is it because there's this weird paradox, right? Like usage for a system like this, on the one hand, is exciting because it implies there's a lot of people using it. On the other, it could also imply that people are uh, not getting the result that they want. And so they're rerunning it. Do you, do you have any sense of like, you know, analytically, like how, how does that break down? Do you, do you find that people keep sending the same prompt in, for example, which might give away frustration or, or are the prompts more different? Yeah, so great point. Actually, that's one of the things that I wanted to include in this, but I didn't get to include. I wanted a record of everyone's prompts and then their their results. But unfortunately, right. I only got my prompts and my results and like my friends when they like beta test and complain about things. So most of the the complaints were really about, uh, yeah, it's really related to like the prompt, right? So initially when I had the longer prompt, so my first version of this, it was like, well, my first version is like one sentence, so too generic. Then my second version, I was like, okay, specific to me. Yeah. And then I wrote like my entire experience, blah, blah, blah. And then I had like an option on, on Streamlit, which was like, is this specific to Amber Tang? <laughs> yes or no? And if it's yes, the prompt completely changes, right? Um, but like what I would find with like my friends is they would complain about it being too much like, not necessarily like spam email but like something that doesn't sound human like some of the sentences don't tie in together as naturally as they should um and i think my main metric if i had any uh, about whether or not this cover letter was like like cover letter generator was doing well is like would i send this to someone right. yes or no right so it was it was a pretty basic metric for like a pretty quick project but i was like would i send this to someone yes or no and i think it was like more often than not even though the results were interesting the answer was still no for me right and okay. i think that is kind of what you get from like out of the box models as well um you know it wasn't like i mentioned it wasn't fine-tuned on anything like i don't know like what data set uh, it's looking at to create these cover letters aside from like literally almost everything on Wikipedia, Common Crawl, yeah. et cetera. Right? So like everything. But if we were able to like fine tune it on, um, so my university actually has a data set of like cover letters that they recommend. So like Brown has like a, a cover letter, like set of cover letter um, PDFs. Oh, cool. So if okay. we fine tune it on something like that, then like maybe other universities have something like that, then we'd know what a good cover letter kind of looks like, right? Yeah. And then, yeah. No, that, that makes that makes a ton of sense, and it also um, it, it also makes you think about like, well, actually, sorry, one question then, metrics wise, you mentioned most of the time it's not sendable. It, like, do you have a sense of what fraction? Like, was it a decent fraction of the time that you actually could send it, or was it basically never? I would say like one out of ten times I could send it, but 
I could send it with tweaking, additional tweaking yeah. on my part. And the reason I say that is because like when I write cover letters or like, you know, cold emails, like I like to be very, very specific. Like I know um, from firsthand experience, like nobody actually replies to you if it's like super, super generic. So yeah. like I like to be very specific about why I'm passionate, like about the role, so on and so forth. But what I found about like adding those things in is like, again, like the prompt was getting way too long and like it wasn't really reducing my work that much if I include like a whole paragraph of like, I'm passionate about this job because blah, 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 right? So to an extent, it also begs the question of like, how much can kind of like AI do and like, when should you use it? Because even though it's useful, maybe it's not, maybe we shouldn't be using it for for every single thing, right? Maybe some things are still better um, you know, done by hand, I dare say. Um, <laughs> done by hand, I dare say, or like what kind of improvements can we make either to fine tuning, um, to the prompt or or to like pre-training itself that would make um make a drastic improvement such that we can actually write sendable cover letters. Yeah, and, and it, it does I think you're exactly right. And and it also speaks to the ecosystem of companies too that are popping up around these kinds of um models. Because I remember when you when you announced that you'd built this thing. I think somewhere, I, I don't know if it was on Twitter or LinkedIn, somebody had, had responded and said, hey, like my company does this. Great to see what you're doing. And, and I, I couldn't help but think looking at that. I was like, man, like what a world we're in right now where, first of all, this person has an entire company that's basically just a wrapper around GPT-3. And there are dozens, even hundreds of those that are basically just a glorified like thin prompt engineering wrapper around what is fundamentally just GPT-3 or another language model. But then second, like what a world we live in that Amber in five hours is able to throw together like a competitor app that, you know, you're offering it for free, but theoretically, if you wanted to invest another weekend or so into fine tuning and whatever else, you could have something that's maybe market competitive. This, this seems to really change the dynamics around company building. It seems to change the dynamics around personal software development, like kind of for personal needs. I don't know if you thought about that much, but it was just so, so striking when I saw your, uh, your tweet or your post. Yeah, it was really interesting also because aside from like cover letter generators, like I've also tried using OpenAI GPT-3 for blog generation. So I, I write, you know, a bit. I haven't in a while, but I'm trying to like get back to it like more regularly. Um, And usually when I get like stuck somewhere like, you know, writer's block or whatever, I was like, okay, can GPT-3 like write this paragraph for me? Like, yeah. I'm actually struggling right now. And so I was like, okay, like write a paragraph about blah, blah, blah. And then I entered it and like, you know, it wasn't like a hundred percent there, but it gave me really good points that I could build off of. Right. And so I think that even goes into the whole conversation of like, like plagiarism versus originality versus right. like, can we use this? Is it, especially for like writers who make money online um, and content creators who make money online, like, is this still counted as like original content if you had GPT-3 do it for you, right? And, and I believe OpenAI requires attribution in principle uh, for text generated by their system. It was sort of interesting, like there's a whole philosophical uh, hairball there we could get into, but like, you know, GPT-3 is trained on text from the internet and then it's used to generate text. And apparently that, that connection, like you need to, to give it credit for that, but what about the text that it used to, like it, it's very, convoluted and depending on how you think about what GPT-3 is doing, different things can make sense. Um, but generally, like, I'm wondering, how, how did this change your perspective? Did it change your perspective on what language models may be able to do in the future? Were you disappointed or were you impressed by what GPT-3 was able to do relative to your expectations going in? 
Yeah, absolutely. And you made a really great point earlier about like how, you know, companies are just putting wrappers around this. And I think the fact that, you know, like we can build this in a weekend. Meanwhile, companies are like selling this for, for you know, really high prices. For me, that was like, I don't know how I felt about that. On the one hand, I was like, okay, interesting. We can like go build a company and maybe if we like created like a, a fine-tuned better model, right? We can go and like do that. But on the other hand, I was like, on on the ethical issue for, for those people, for those of us who aren't as interested in like understanding like the nuts and bolts of lgbt3 or like we don't even have like the opportunity to do that like those of us who aren't like in the field for example isn't there like an ethical issue for like pricing something so high when like in reality most of what you're using is kind of open source or like pretty cheap and mostly like from my understanding um, the main purpose was like for research right so that's an interesting perspective when we like productionize and also to an extent like incentivize firms and other private companies to create a business model around this a lucrative one at that given how many different competitors are popping up and how prominent these competitors are not just in the US but in different countries as well yeah it's it's interesting because i think i think there there's also so that's an interesting angle there's also the the flip side to that which is the fact that it's so easy to spin these things up means you get a lot of competition, which drives prices down. Because um, I think OpenAI has actually been experiencing this, by the way. Like it's, yeah. So so uh, the, this is a whole kind of interesting rabbit hole itself. But when GPT three was first developed, when it was first announced, of course prices were a lot higher back then, and and there was a time when OpenAI was the only game in town, and that was the case for about a year, and then we started to see replications in like China and, and Russia and other countries. But, um, but now AI21 Labs comes out, um, you know, uh, Co Cohere comes out, all these companies, and we're starting to see the prices drop in response to that. And so it's starting to seem kind of like language modeling might be commoditized or like it, it, it's, it's going to be really hard to maintain competitive advantages in this space. I don't know what that means for the future of language modeling, but it, it seems kind of noteworthy. It seems like there's maybe not as much of an opportunity to like rent seek in this space as otherwise we might have imagined. But it's so hard to know where this all goes and it's such an important part of the future of, of humanity, the future of technology too. So anyway, fascinating to, to hear the... And to add, what, to add to like what you mentioned about like a lot of different companies building on this, I think um, I think Cohere has a different um, platform that also allows you to do like text generation. Um, I think AI21 also does, uses something called AI21 Studio, which when I looked it up, like... The write-up was super similar to like what I had done. They even cited temperature as well. And I was like, oh, this is so interesting. Uh, so I was like uh, excited to, to see that as well. But then, you know, we kind of go into the space where we talk about like AI safety, I think. And a lot of this I actually learned from you. So, you know, about like how uh, we're not just talking about like technology, right? We're also talking about like policy. So how do we make sure to, to keep everyone safe, right? Because, you know, you can imagine that you know like this is a cover letter generator but people could could still abuse it right yeah. like it could basically like no i don't want to say like sugar code but like make up some experience that is like mildly related to your resume and it could like with like fancy words or whatever like fool whoever it is you're applying for a job to it's not technically false but it's not completely true either right so there's a lot of different instances and that's just like with cover letter generation um with other use cases as well 
Um, and given like how easy it was to do this, I can just imagine how much easier it is for other people who are really researching on this, who are really spending time to learn about this, to build something, right? Yeah, actually, it's really interesting that you raised that that idea with the cover letter piece too, because I'm almost thinking psychologically, like putting myself in the shoes of somebody using that app. I imagine if I were writing it myself, I would make sure that every line was absolutely true to the letter because I'm creating it. But if GPT-3 suggests like a turn of phrase that's a little bit more embellished than maybe what I ought to be claiming, maybe I'm less likely to be like, oh, no, no I'll get rid of that. And she's like, yeah, you know, it sounds so good. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit more in front of you. It's more tangible. Maybe I go with that. And it might end up increasing, yeah, the level of deception in the ecosystem, stuff like that. But um, I, I find it, it's really interesting and, and great that you're thinking along those lines as you're building the software. It'd be great to see the broader ecosystem kind of reflecting that level of concern too. <laughs> yeah, and I think like it's also scary because like with with job applications, um, going back into like the job search after a while, I guess, um, a lot of it can be automated, right? So right. for example, people, um, you know, unknown people, just kidding. No, but people use like like bots to, to apply to jobs, right? And yeah. those bots, like, they, they like scrape like different like job app platforms. They like submit your resume, so on and so forth. All your bio data that you just like input in an app, right? Like you, it's easy to, to kind of do that using Selenium, right? It's not extremely challenging. There's like a lot of open source projects that actually apply uh, allow you to apply to jobs in an automated fashion. Like they run while you sleep. And think about if somebody like connects that app to like a cover letter generator, like as an applicant, like you're not really doing anything, but I don't know if that's really helpful for like recruiters or hiring managers. Like, I don't know if that's making the whole like job search worse. And then I guess like you can think about like in the future, if it's, if the ecosystem is like so like diluted, there are like too many signals and all of these signals are kind of muddy because again, yeah. you're not getting like, the person you're getting this whole automated pipeline how is hiring going to work like in the future right that's like that's a really interesting question and it's it's also I, okay I, I i i'm wondering if i should even say this i think it's okay because it, i i i think this kind of use case would be flagged but you could imagine like it, you know if i'm at um company x and i want to really mess with company wise recruitment like I could I could flood them with a thousand plausible seeming cover letters and resumes generated in this way, and like good luck filtering the real applicants from the fake ones if the stuff looks basically human generated. Like it's, there's a whole world of stuff that um, anyway it's going to be exciting to live in uh, as we go. I think Ada is uh, the the uh, the model that's most useful if I remember correctly, like the most useful for creating data sets. Actually, you can create data like with these models. So that's like a really good point that you touch on, like just like make a bunch of resumes to that, that company that rejected you. Just kidding. <laughs> so... Oh my God. Let's... <laughs> Nobody get any ideas here. We don't have yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. no, it, It's fascinating. And I think it points in, in a good way and, and in, a, in a scary way at the direction the future might be headed. So I really appreciate you sharing this story, your, your story and how you came to all this as well on the podcast. Thanks so much, Amber, for, uh, for the conversation. Thank you so much for having me and I really appreciate it.